0: Welcome to
1: the Linnean Society of London. If you know the extension of the Please wait a moment. Hello, this is Padma and today we come to you from the Linnean Society in central London from a 19th century building called Burlington House. And today we have a very special presentation about a book that has been many years in the making. But before we get to that, let me introduce you the two staff members. Lenny.
0: Hi, my name is Lenny Berick, and I'm the Special Publications Manager at the Linnaean Society.
1: And we also have
2: Isabel. My name is Isabel Charmantier, I'm the Head of Collections.
1: Before we get a move on, um, let's try to describe the building and what it is like. Um, Lenny, do you want to describe what the building is like when somebody walks in?
0: Yes, well, you said it's a 19th century building. It's really beautiful. It was built specifically for the Linnaean Society to house its collections and to hold its meetings. So when you come in, there's a really beautiful foyer, which leads to our meeting room where we have all our scientific lectures and we have our very famous portrait of Charles Darwin. Um, And then you... Move on up the building and come into this up the stairs and come into the library, which is probably the most beautiful and well-received room in the building. It's it's really gorgeous. It's a lovely place to research on Piccadilly.
1: Right. So the book that we are talking about today is called L50, and it's magical objects and stories and discoveries from the Linnean Society. How did it come by? I think the idea came independently
2: to both Laney and I uh, for different reasons. In my part, I give tours of the collections to groups who come in, uh, and we have the monthly treasures tour. Uh, And so I I show all these people our collections, um, but I always have the feeling that there's more to show. And I also always have the feeling that they come out empty-handed. And I, I kind of wanted them to have the opportunity to buy a book if they wanted so that they could take a little bit of the Linnean Society with them when they leave.
0: Uh, yeah, so from my point of view, um, I work on the Society's Special Publications, so the Linnaean, which is our Fellows newsletter and Pulse Fellows magazine, and we have so many people doing independent bits of research on the collections, or I've done things, or other staff members have done things, and all these stories over time have, have sort of popped up into these other publications or have just revealed new things. And I thought it would be such a nice thing to share in, a, in more of a, more of a structured way with everything that Isabel wanted to do as well. So it matched up with her tours, but also revealed things not just for the public when they come in, but also to our own fellowship who might not know all these things about our collections.
1: Before we talk about the objects that are in the book itself, I would like to know what the process was like. I mean, it can't be easy to narrow down 50 objects from a collection that houses thousands.
0: Well, basically, we wanted to put in um, what we think are best known objects. So, for example, we've definitely included um, Charles Darwin's vasculum, which is a a, a receptacle for collecting, which he took on the Voyage of the Beagle with him. Um, We also have a, a lot of other things that people know about already, specifically our fellows, but also people who've been on the tours. But we wanted to combine that with things that are lesser known, uh, treasures that are important to staff members or, or fellows. Um, and yeah, basically, that's how we came about putting these particular 50 items together.
1: And talking about greatest hits, Isabel, since you're the one who gives most of the tours, is there an object that always gets a world? Yes, I would say it's the um, seahorses,
2: which are in the Linnean collections, and part of An already quite amazing collection of pressed fish which is unusual Uh, but the seahorses are just simply dried so they're not pasted on the sheet Um, and I usually leave those for last within the fish section Uh, and I always enjoy opening the envelope and just um, uh, enjoying the gasp from from the audience it's always a pleasure
1: what does dried fish look like how do they even fit into
2: books I mean, are they in books? No, they're they're on uh, pieces of paper. Uh, So they were gutted, dried, varnished, because otherwise uh, it stinks, uh, and simply uh, glued on on a piece of paper. So you've only got half the fish.
1: I know that this book is not written just by staff of Linnaean Society, and I know that there are many other people involved. Could we get a sense of who are these other people?
0: Yes, so uh, as you said, we've had... We have had some staff members write, so some of the collections team have written things for the book, which has been great because they work with these items every day. Um, we've also had all of our honorary curators either put something forward or write something for the book uh, so that we have uh, curators that look after our plants, our insects, our fish, and our artifacts, and they're all listed in the book as well. We're really grateful to them. Um, but also we've had fellows who we know have uh, certain areas of that they specialize in. They've written things. Um, And also, we've had people coming in and doing their own independent research over the last few years, and they've discovered new things within our collections in that time. So we decided to ask them if they would like to contribute the new things that they've learned. And that's what's so great about our collections is that we're learning new things all the time. It seems like an old... Collection and maybe it's not it doesn't seem dynamic, but actually it really is. and we actually learned quite a few new facts just doing this this book.
1: Do you remember a story where somebody else came in and told you new things about an object that you didn't know? Um, yes, we had we have a, an agreement with King's College
2: uh, to get masters students coming in every year and they come in for a ten week um, experience. And they tend to catalog our collections and then produce a podcast or a piece of work. And we had these two um, really good master students about two years ago. And they cataloged some of Pleasant Smith's uh, correspondence. Pleasant Smith uh, started writing after uh, our founders, James Edward Smith, her husband's death. And she, uh, she survived him for nearly 50 years. She died, she was 103. Uh, And she was an exceptional lady, and and the students really brought that out in a podcast, in a blog. And so we went back to them when it came to the book because they had done such brilliant work and they had uncovered aspects of Pleasant Smith's uh, correspondence and, and life after Smith that we didn't know.
0: Another thing that we discovered was with our copy of Edward Lear's Parrots, which is his monograph of parrots. Um, Edward Lear is probably best known for being for his nonsense poetry, so the Owl and the Pussycat and things like that. But actually, he was an absolutely brilliant natural history artist as well. Really, like w- really highly renowned. Um, but with his parrot book, which is very famous and is absolutely stunning. What we found from someone coming in and researching it is that it's it's possible that the society's copy is one of maybe only two or a handful in the world that have the complete set of plates, which we didn't know before that. So it, it was amazing just doing this book revealed that sort of stuff to us as well.
1: This book is of course, primarily about the objects, but there's a very strong artistic element. Um, would either of you care to comment on part of the book that visually delights you?
2: I think it's the alliance of items, actually, which really reflect the way our collections are holistic in a way that comprise specimens, objects, paintings, manuscripts, and books. And and all of it coming together like that, which, which makes it really varied actually, uh, and, and reflects the variety and the richness of our collections as a whole. Yeah,
0: I agree. I think that um, it was it was difficult just narrowing this down to, to 50 items. Um, I should also say the reason why we narrowed it down to 50 is because a it's, a, it's a great number, but also because uh, we were calling it L, L stands for Linnaeus, also it's the Roman numeral for 50, so we wanted it to sort of all tie together. Um, but I think it was already difficult enough honing it down to 50 items. So, and, and we're by no means saying that the things in this book are our peak treasures. There's far more to the collections than even just in this book. And it might be that, hey, if this one goes really well, we might like to do a volume two because there's so much to explore within the collections. Books like this opens up these sorts of collections to people who would never normally have the opportunity to come and see it. Because obviously not everyone lives in London and we're aware of that. Um, but everything that we do at the Society is trying to open open up our collections to the outside world and so that as many people in as many places have access to them. It's very important. And the other thing is these sorts of books and these sorts of collections, specifically natural history collections and specimen collections, are really important because they provide a, a baseline from which to do reading so we can actually accurately measure what's happening with regard to climate change. So with everything going on at the moment, these sorts of collections are actually quite vital.
1: While not giving away the whole book, um, could we give our listeners a taste of what is in it?
2: You'll find Linnaeus in there. That's no big surprise. And I think for us, it was a question of actually limiting the number of items that related to Linnaeus. Because Definitely, and perhaps I'm a little bit biased, but you know, because the collection the linen collections, are in that in the collection store in the vault, they are probably our most treasured uh, possessions. But we wanted to limit that, so in order to kind of um, uh, highlight the rest of our collections, we made an effort to cover the whole chronological range. So it goes from the late 15th century, but we were also very conscious that we didn't want to spend the entirety of the book on the 18th 19th century because that's where most of our collections are but we also wanted to extend that to the 20th and you know the present as well because we are keep on we're keeping on collecting uh, and that's quite important so we we did try and ensure that we had a whole variety of materials but also that covered uh, the whole history of the linnean society
0: Because my background's in publishing, one of the things that I've always really loved at the Society is the collection of proof plates we have that belong to William Swainson. They were used as the sort of um, the the colour proof for uh, his book Zoological Illustrations. And they were obviously vital, so that all, all, all books back then were hand-coloured, so they were vital to make sure that each book was produced with the, the same colourings and showing the proper colouration of every species. But we've got the entire set of proof plates, which I find quite fascinating. And also, it was the first natural history book that was uh, produced using the printing process of lithography.
1: And of course, after listening to all this, people will be scaling the walls to get a hold of this book. So where can people buy it?
0: Well, the book will be available on our website um, from the 20th of November. And if they go to www.linnean.org forward slash L50, then they'll be able to purchase a copy there.
1: Fantastic. Thank you, Lenny. And this will all be in time for your Christmas gifts. Thank you so much to Lenny and Isabel, a brilliant duo that has produced this, book called L50. Please don't forget that November 20, we will be having a formal launch online, of course, with a selection of our curators who have chosen these objects, who will be there to tell thrilling stories behind these objects. So mark your calendars, November 20, and see you then.